Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I, I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. Podcasts. It's real simple. You know, if you take a person's legs away, they can't run. Bear down, baby. Yes, sir. Bears fans, this is Take the North with your hosts, David Haw and Dan Weeder. We're going to take the North and never give it back. Welcome to the Take the North podcast. I'm David Haw from the Mullion Haw Show on 6-7 The Score. Dan Weeder is from the Chicago Tribune covering the Chicago Bears, and we are joining you on Super Bowl weekend, Super Bowl 58 kicks off Sunday. NFL Honors was Thursday night in Las Vegas. And that means, yes, they announced a new class, the 2024 Pro Football Hall of Fame induction class. And it includes a couple Bears. Steve McMichael, long overdue. Finally, Mongo goes in to Canton. Devin Hester, about time as well. And then also Julius Pepper spent four seasons with the Bears, likely to go in as a Panther, also played with the Packers. Dan, great news all around. Great night for the Bears organization. Yeah, well, I'll start with the entire class as well, because you also have Dwight Freeney, Patrick Willis, Andre Johnson, and Randy Granishar going in. And you go down the list of this like class of 2024, and obviously we're going to be skewed a little bit because we're in Chicago, but it just feels like one of these classes where you go, yep, 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 yep. Yep. And you just agree with all of them and, and you understand why these guys are going to get their uh, entry into Canton, Ohio this summer. From a Bears perspective, David, it just felt like um, just a goosebump moment for Devin, for McMichael, for Julius Peppers, who obviously was only here for four years. And, and you, you just know, uh, as I've predicted here, that it's going to be a takeover in Ohio <laughs> in early August. And uh, Bears fans are going to migrate in mass and we're going to have a lot of time, I think, to, to kind of celebrate the careers of uh, of these players that that obviously you covered, I covered, uh, and there's just there, there's some there's some fun stuff mixed into to this class, particularly Bears related. Level of surprise. I think we all thought that McMichael was going to go in once he made the finalists, and then he kept on getting uh, one more step closer. He goes in as a senior member, but Devin Hester had been disappointed before. I was hoping he would not be disappointed again, Dan. Uh, two years ago on the first ballot, I think a lot of us maybe fooled ourselves into thinking that was possible then. Yeah. When he didn't get in two years in a row, maybe I started to wonder a little bit. So 
were you at all surprised about the class that included Mongo and Hester? No, um, because look, like when, when, when Steve McMichael kind of got, got the campaign renewed a couple of years ago with credit to his publicist, Betsy Shepard, for kind of reviving that a couple of years ago. And then you got this last year where he was advancing through the seniors committee. And once the seniors committee recommends you for nomination, um, it's pretty much a foregone conclusion you're in. So if, since August, it felt like that was a fait accompli with, with, with Steve McMichael on the way uh, into the Hall of Fame. And then with Devin, we've talked about it previously that it was always kind of a when, not if. And it was like, at, at what point does the log jam break in a way that allows him to squeeze through? Because there really was never significant resistance to his Hall candidacy. It was just that whole, there's a limit of five modern era finalists per class that can go in. And Devin didn't make it in year one. and was was obviously, in his words, he boo-hoo cried <laughs> and, and, and had trouble uh, – swallowing that disappointment again last year but it just felt like the momentum was building particularly among the committee to to say okay yeah this is this is truly the best who ever did it at his role and and that was recognized and acknowledged and now uh, he'll get that gold jacket he'll get that bus and he can walk around for the rest of his life knowing that he was the best to ever do what he set out to do I want to go into depth in both of these guys so let's start with mcmichael because i think that is what the you know he's an 85 bear to me, he was the most underrated uh, defensive player on a unit that was one of the most feared in NFL history. He was also the life of every party, and he was the heart and soul of that locker room, of that defense. And And I think that 13 years as a Bear, second all-time in sack, you look at the numbers, but it was more than that, Dan. And I think that obviously what he's going through now with ALS and what he's he's fighting um, to, to, to stay alive, essentially, it was just so, so poignant to see all of his teammates and friends and family gathered around him and uh, the stories about how they were, you, you were out there on, on Friday morning. I'll take, let you take it from here because I think everybody who's ever spent more than 10 minutes around Steve McMichael understands the power of his personality and happy for him and his family because this legacy is secure. It's the presence in the aura that Steve McMichael has always had. And, and yet he was surrounded on Thursday night during the honor show by some former teammates that included Gary Fensick and Jim Morrissey and Tyrone Keys and um, so, some good buddies from years past. I was able to visit out on Friday morning and got a chance to stop in his, his bedroom and say hello and at least let him know that I, you know, I appreciate that he's getting this, this recognition, a really cool moment. And um, to hear his sister, Kathy, his youngest sister, express the emotion of him getting his just due for what he put in to the sport. You know, it's, I think that's what everybody that knows Steve well knows how much he invested in his pursuit of excellence and his, his passionate drive to, to be the best he could be for the guys around him understands what this means to him. And I think there's a, a profound, profound satisfaction that he is alive and alert to understand that, that he has been given that dual thumbs up, <laughs> you know, you're a hall of famer and you can now um, rest peacefully for however long you live, knowing that you are a pro football hall of famer. And I think that that satisfaction is palpable when you walk in there. He was visited David today by, um, the, the bagpipers and drummers of the Emerald Society of the Chicago Police Department. And they had Steve's bedroom window cranked open 
and he was kind of rolled on his right side so he could face out and this what was a beautiful morning for February, right? Like blue sky, crisp breeze. And, and they, they played a, you know, serenaded him with a tribute. And this backstory to that, David, is that after nine 11 in 2001, Steve linked up with the Emerald society to go around on a series of pub crawls to raise money for first responders in New York. And it started this relationship that lasted forever. These, you know, the Emerald society comes out to a, a, a fundraising golf tournament every year that Steve used to play in when he was able to. And so there's, you, you talk to these police officers that have gotten to know him in that way over the years. And, and the, the feeling David is that, is that like Steve is this larger than life personality, but for those who get to know him, he's got this giant heart and this, this willingness to give his best to everyone he crosses paths with. That was really notable to me on the day after he was elected into the hall of fame. I think what's also interesting to point out now and i think dan hampton did a nice job of doing this uh i don't want to say it's the elephant in the room but it's got to be at least addressed you know people will maybe assume or they'll link the fact that he is going through this terrible terrible disease als and it's, it's robbing him of everything and his faculties and you know uh it's it's a death sentence um but I don't think this is necessarily you, you can make the connection if you wish. And I, and I know we're all cynical and we're all skeptical and all the things. But Steve McMichael, that it should not be overlooked or it should not be ignored. His football credentials make yeah. him worthy of this enshrinement. Yeah. His his personal health story makes it tragic to tell and to feel, and maybe it, it also makes us maybe many of his family and friends grateful that it's happening before or before he passes away and while he is with us, but there should be no mistake and nobody should be cynical enough to believe that because he's going through what he's going through, that he's getting the sympathy vote. This is a no legitimate doubt. induction based on his football credentials because he was part of one of the greatest defenses of all time and he was as big a part of that team as anybody. Well, he's the sixth player from the 1985 Bears to go into the Hall of Fame and, and the fourth on defense. And when you hear the way that Richard Dent and Dan Hampton and Mike Singletary have always talked about what Steve's presence meant to what they did to get into the Hall of Fame themselves, it tells you how big of a cog in that defense he was. It is amazing. You know, Gary Fensick tells me earlier this week that the, the, the thing he admired perhaps more than anything else about Steve McMichael was how reliable he was. And that's a consistent message you hear from those guys as well, that he was going to press practice hard. He was going to never miss a game. By the way, 191 straight in the regular season, 12 more in the postseason without ever missing a game back in that era, right? Like that's reliability, right? And and not only reliability, but production and, and the things that you talk about in not only the sack numbers, which obviously go down as, as some of the highest from a defensive tackle ever, but the, what he did to, to free up Mike Singletary and Otis Wilson behind him to make the plays. The guy was in absolute key cog in a defense. And by the way, that 1984 to 1988 stretch, the Bears won 62 regular season games. They won five division championships and played in nine playoff games. In the last 27 years, David, they've won five division championships and played in nine playoff games. So here, a key cog and a part of a run that was as good as we've ever seen here from a Chicago Bears football team, you deserve the recognition, and thankfully he's getting it. All for a guy that got cut, found himself in the Chicago Bears organization, made the most of his opportunity and took it from there. So uh, a couple things I want to share here. And uh, obviously for me, to, I've had a chance since I've been back in Chicago to get to know Steve really well. Look, I was nine years old when the Bears won the Super Bowl. These guys were, you know, 
figments of my imagination. I thought they were, <laughs> you know, fictional yeah. characters. And then you get to know them. You have this personal relationship. I think I first met Steve kind of informally at the 30th anniversary of the Bears Super Bowl championship. Got to know him a little bit better when they did the 30 for 30 premiere uh, downtown Chicago for, for the 85 Bears. And then Jeff Dickerson invited a group of us out in Tampa when Steve and Hamp uh, and Otis were playing with the Chicago Six at the Hard Rock in Tampa the weekend of a Bears-Buccaneers games. And Steve said, you know, br bring some people over and we'll just hang out after the show and talk. And he talked for two and a half hours, David, and told us stories, many of which we could never share on this podcast and others that we could that just – you just like – for as large of a personality as Steve was, he was so warm and welcoming, you know, and, and, and in, in 2019, in conjunction with the hundredth season, I got a chance to spend a ton of time with him working on a deep dive profile of, of one of the most colorful characters of probably the most celebrated Chicago sports team ever. And we had deep conversations. And, and the reason I bring it up is because you, you know, you hear him talk and we, we think of him as this crude, obnoxious kind of shock jack type of guy, but you hear him talk about the, the meaning of effort to everyday life, right? The meaning of reliability and, and, and understanding how to take care of the people that you're teammates with. The, the, the meaning of like knowing what passion means to driving you towards your ultimate excellence. And, and you, you just gain a deeper appreciation for what it was that made him tick and what made him so respected by the guys on that 85 Bears team who saw him as more than just this larger than life, loud, boisterous person who was just trying to be the center of attention when he was on stage. There was so much more depth to Steve McMichael and having a chance to get to know him on that level has been really rewarding for me as, as, uh, as a journalist and just as a person. He was a smart guy. When I was, uh, I, it was at one point when I was on the beat is first, a few years in town maybe anyway i was at the other radio station at am 1000 and he did a lot of work for them and yeah i had the opportunity to you know a couple shows with him and you can see and you know we all have done shows with bears players former bears players former athletes and you know the level of the preparation sometimes is is great and sometimes it's not so great and sometimes you can tell a lot about a guy by the way he prepares for something that you know is is just kind of a sidelight I always think, you know, Doug Buffon was a guy who was ultra prepared. I loved working with Doug because he didn't leave any detail uh, uh, he on earth. He, he unearthed every detail and he was always ready. Steve McMichael was very similar to that, I found, because he was a smart guy. He played along. He could be the life yeah. of the party, but he yeah. wasn't this big, uh, you know, empty suit. And he wasn't this right. dumb jock the way he sort of sometimes portrayed. He could be as smart and intelligent as anybody, and he was always prepared because he had a work ethic that was unmatched. Philosophical, introspective, and, and able to, to give you a one-liner on command, which is a, a yeah. really cool combination. It's one of the most rewarding parts of my entire career was him trusting me and Jarrett Payton to, to be the ones that told the world that he had ALS and didn't to bring that, that story public uh, three years ago um, to see him in this current state. Now, again, uh, this morning, did, did you miss the voice, you know, you just, as much as anything, you miss the voice, that booming, funny, present voice that was always there. And so, so that's not there. Listen, this guy, when you talk to these police officers and you get to see some of the neighbors and you, you understand the impact that he has on every person's path that he crossed. You understand that these stories are universal across Chicago for a lot of people. They're even universal for a guy named Bill Swirsky, uh, Dave, who you might know as one of the super fans, AKA Robert Smigel, who sent Betsy Shepard, Steve's publicist, a uh, congratulatory video message on Thursday night after Steve was inducted or, or announced at the NFL honor ceremony 
We have that video, David, for our audience. And this may be the first place it's played, but Studs has got it here. And uh, I think we're ready to roll it. All right. Listen, congrats. But Mongo, we all know this is long overdue, my friend. I mean, forget last year or even 10 years ago. I mean, when you sacked Grogan in the Super Bowl, they should have inducted your ass right there. Hell, when you broke a chair in the team meeting the night before the Super Bowl, they should have been getting your plaque ready and inducted you and the chair you broke. And then in 1991, when you stripped the ball out of Blair Thomas's hands, made all those New York crackheads shed tears right then and there, they should have tossed Paul Horning out on his Green Bay ass, put you in the hall right there on this spot. Excuse me. Hmm. Okay. Anyway, okay. Long overdue, Canton. Long overdue. Putting two bears in this year, don't make up for it. You hear me? There should have been three. Mongo, Hester, and they should have re-inducted Dicka. Coach Dicka, that's right. Because, let's face it, certain men of a certain hairstyle and a certain stature are simply too large to be properly inducted one time. I mean, that's just basic science 101, my friend. Mongo, congrats. You are the best. You are forever a glorious member of the Hall of Bears. That's what they should call it anyways. Hall of Fame. Love you, Mongo. Da Bears. <laughs> that was classic. Pretty good. Pretty I good. I just seen that before. Just this morning. When, 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 when oh, I that's this. great. That's good stuff. <laughs> People are gonna love that. Oh boy, so much there. Um, and that that does. That's a that's a great way to. Uh, to send him into to pro football. Yeah, I think just like punctuating that part of our conversation yeah. is that like Steve McMichael took the pursuit of excellence very, very seriously, but he never took himself that seriously. And that's the type of clip, my friend, that shows you why Chicago was so alluring to him. Bears, bears. <laughs> Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. All right, how do you get out of that one and move into Devin Hester? Because uh, much different personality, much different uh, side of the ball, much different style, and yet the the flash, the finesse, the the dazzling, returning, electrifying play, all the things, the most exciting Bears player since Walter Payton, 
Um, Devin Hester was a lot of kids' favorite players because they felt like they could relate to him, much the way I think people look at Steph Curry. They looked at Devin Hester. Um, and, and, Dan, I think that, like, when you talk about Steve McMichael and being the life of the party and all this personality, Devin Hester was, like, the opposite on the field than he was off the field. I mean, Devin Hester was so quiet and shy. I can remember he's he's the first Bears player going into the Hall of Fame that whose career I, I covered entirely in Chicago. Brian Erlacher, I wasn't here for the beginning, but here for most of it. Um, and I remember when Devin Hester was drafted, and I remember all the things people said about him, and I remember all the, you know, can he play cornerback, and, yeah. and what are they going to do, and live through the whole number one wide receiver thing. And through it all, Devin grew up. I think in Chicago, but it wasn't an easy process. And his best, most natural moments came with the ball in his hands. Yeah. There's no question about it. And, and what I've always said, David, about Devin is that Devin Hester is a feeling. And when you talk to people about Devin Hester, you feel the feeling that they have about Devin Hester. And if it's somebody that had a uh, kick to him or cover him on a, on a kickoff or punt, you feel the anxiety that comes through in their voice when they talk about the preparation of trying to take on that challenge. If you talk about somebody that had to block for him on one of those return units, they talk about the eagerness and the energy and the anticipation that came with every one of those returns. You talk about fans and you, you, you hear those first few beats of Soldier Boy coming over the, the sound system and people would talk about just like how exciting that was to be in an entire stadium where all eyes were fixated on one dude because they knew in the, the blink of an eye, something unforgettable was about to happen. And, and I, I've always said getting to know Devin a little bit, I covered his last season in Chicago and I've gotten to know him over the last few years, just through various interviews. He's got this super cool combination of self-assurance and humility where he can talk about ways that he amazed himself with moves he made and returns he had in a way that that you're you're just smiling and you realize he's not coming across as cocky or arrogant in anything that he does it's just like yeah it was really awesome to be the best there ever was at doing this and it was really cool to have these special gifts all come together that was devin hester for me when he returned kicks and punts i mean he was a kid in the playground nobody could catch because it wasn't just one move or one method it wasn't just get to the corner and not run everybody it wasn't he zigged and he zagged and then he broke a tackle and he cut back and he changed directions and he did everything so instinctively and i think that's the thing with devin's career that you know you look back at that era and sometimes you know they, they didn't win a super bowl they got to one and that was his rookie year and certainly brian erlacher and tillman and briggs they define that era defensively. Lovey Smith was here, his cover two, all that. When you think about the offense of, of the Bears, you don't think of much because the quarterback, you know, glut or the hole the, that they've had. And it just, but you think of exciting plays, you think of Hester. Hester kind of defined the excitement of that era offensively because he was as big of a weapon as they had. That's one of the reasons that he wanted to try being a receiver. That's one of the reasons they let him try being a receiver. So, it never worked out that way. And did it take away? It doesn't matter if it took away from, from his returning now. He's in Canton, Ohio. He's going to be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So whatever they worked, whatever they tried worked. Congratulations, Jerry Angelo, who drafted him and saw this greatness that few people maybe saw. 
I don't have the numbers directly in front of me, but we found it uh, important to include in our Chicago Tribune newser the fact that he did have success as a receiver. And when you draft a guy as a cornerback and he's so good with the ball in his hands that you carve out a role for him for six seasons as a receiver, and in two of those years, he leads your team in receiving yards, it gives you a, a little bit of an illumination into how special the guy really is to take on something that he had never really done before and to do it at a level where you could lead an NFL team in receiving for two seasons and have the production he had. So to me, that it's just a, a little bit of an extra emphasis that he wasn't strictly a returner. You know, for for six years, he was a part of the offense, and 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 a, you know maybe not the most explosive receiver ever. Maybe he had some flaws in his game there, but he was he was that. The other part, go ahead. I'm not here to disparage him as a receiver. I think his his high season was 57 catches. He has 30, 3,300 3, yards career receiving yards, uh, 255 career receptions. My my point in looking back is that the Bears there was a big thing at the time about he wanted to be a number one receiver. Oh yeah, Devin no, Hester right. was a complimentary receiver that I don't think you know. I think because he was a Hall of Fame caliber returner, he wanted to be a number one wide receiver. And I don't think those two, two things are always compatible. No, I brought that up only because I know for a while the committee was talking about, oh, he's, you know, he's just a returner. He's just a returner. And I, my right. retort would always be he wasn't just a returner. For six years, he played receiver for the Bears and was, was not terrible at it. The other part about it is we know that Devin loved the stage. Nothing exemplifies that more than uh, Super Bowl opening kickoff Adam Vinatieri's kick coming down into his hands I you know when I did the oral history on that told through Devin's eyes and the eyes of the Colts return team I, I remember getting goosebumps as Devin described the raindrops that were coming down the smoke that was still in the air from the pregame fireworks the, 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 the and then talking about how he could see the flash bulbs everywhere in the stadium but then talking about how he couldn't hear anything because he just kind of found that zone that that mythical zone that he went into <laughs> made marlon jackson missing the hole got himself free and off he goes for 92 yards and a touchdown that all of chicago will forever remember and that wasn't the only time he stepped up on the stage obviously we talk about the they are who we thought they were game you know yep. big moment monday night football against the rams two touchdowns debut as a rookie against green bay at lambeau field devin hester loved the big stage. He loved the big moment. And more often than not, he capitalized on it. I think the 108 yard return was a, a, a Sunday night game against the Giants on the missed field goal. So, so, so that spotlight and that stage was never too big for him. In fact, it was just the opposite. He wanted it. And more times than not, he, he performed to, to the level of expectation that people wanted. That opening kickoff against the Colts in the Super Bowl was probably the most exciting play of the modern era since probably they won the Super Bowl. There, there's nothing else that matches the level of excitement, anticipation, joy, euphoria, all the things. And that was the opening kickoff of the Super Bowl. If you could just stop everything there. And, uh, but, you know, <laughs> we couldn't, unfortunately, do that. But, yeah, that, that's the kind of thing he was always capable of. And I think, Dan, when they drafted him, it was as a cornerback. I think they drafted him out of Miami and he right. was listed and announced as Devin Hester cornerback from the University of Miami. <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. And so here we are now Hall of Famer, right? Two things I also wanted to share on Devin and revisiting the 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 punt return against the Cardinals on that um epic Monday night game, which which might be the defining Bears victory of the 21st century, to be honest with you. Uh 
you, you see two things. Number one, Scott player, the punter in that situation said, look, like I was trying to angle my punt to the right, but the bears knowing that Devin Hester had this ability, were able to get creative. They were able to lock in on all these moments. And Brendan, I actually comes free on what was called a, a, a flash and go where, where you kind of hold up and then you rush. And he actually forced Scott player to kick the ball down the middle of the field, which was exactly what they were strategizing not to do. And so you had Dave Tobe and Brendan, I playing off of Devin Hester's brilliance behind them to make this whole thing work. And then they get the kick they want and he takes it back. And I remember Scott player telling me it was like trying to catch a bullet out of a gun, <laughs> you know, as Devin Hester's coming out of what an analogy that is to, to hear that. And that, that fear that he had, and that was, that, that was the guy. And then you hear over the years, the reverence that a hall of famer like Brian Ehrlicher had a, um, gritty leader like Olin Krutz had these guys talk about Devin Hester with this palpable giddiness about yeah and like that tells you everything you need to know right like these dudes were as as gritty and tough and and all they wanted to do when Devin was back there was get to the sideline and and have wide eyes and watch him do what he does he did things that people couldn't and he in that way was you know I I think the the comp in other sport that he was kind of Steph Curry-ish before Steph Curry because people looked at him and everybody can relate to playing football in the in the in the sand in their side yard or wherever trying to dodge the guys chasing him that was Devin Hester returning a kickoff and a punt and nobody ever caught him and and that was what made people kind of speechless and breathless and and all the things congratulations to Devin Hester it's a very cool thing so before we bring in our second super fan tribute here, I, I, I did want to say that I did discover one similarity this week between Steve McMichael and Devin Hester. They are obviously very different personalities, but both of them love to play the mental game before a game with the opponent. And so uh, Jarrett Payton had a really nice interview with Devin where Devin talked about kind of going to the opponent before the game, you know, during pregame warmups and just kind of being like, are you going to kick to me? Are you going to kick to me? Are you going to kick to me? And he could tell by the way they responded, whether he had them stressed enough to have the game on his terms. And more often than not, he did. He could feel that, that mental chess match that we were playing. Well, Steve McMichael was another guy in a different way that would go to midfield with that intense stare and try to put the fear of God in an opponent. And he said at one point, Wade Wilson, after Wade Wilson, I think it joined the bears as a, a quarterback's coach had come to him and said, man, like I, I always hated to uh, see you come to midfield. And he, and he said something like, you know, what did, what did it make you feel like? And, he, and he, he said, we would all just go and say, look at that crazy MFR. And Mike McMichael said, I'm glad it had its desired effect. <laughs> and so those two guys were playing that mental game too, along with the, the physical exploits on the field. It's a good thing to have in common. It is. What are we hearing from Devin Hester here? No, I just, uh, yeah, uh, we have a, a clip from uh, the Honor Show on Thursday night with, with Devin kind of acknowledging um, his place in Canton, Ohio, now taking his rightful place in the Hall of Fame. It's great, man, when you, as a, as a NFL player, you don't, you don't sit back when you're growing up as a kid and think about the Hall of Fame until you get to the league and you get to the NFL and then you start seeing all the Hall of Famers pop up around you, around you, then you start thinking, wow, these guys are just more the immortal. The, the super superpower super superheroes of NFL, and that's that's the way you kind of that's where you kind of look at the Hall of Fame. Okay, you have Pro Bowl player, you have All Pro player, but then you have the Greek gods, which is the Hall of Famers. And to be in that category and to be listed as a Hall of Famer, man, it's it's amazing to be the 300 374 
player, not a, who knows how many players played it, played it, played, played, played football, but not even played football, but played in the NFL, and to be selected as the 374 players, it's, it's just a blessing for me as well as my family. It's a great moment. Great Takes him back to the, before his first season, his rookie season. I can remember in the backfields of uh, a house hall talking to the – he was a kid, and he was shy, and I didn't know how he was going to handle Chicago. I didn't know how he was going to fit in this roster, and it just was a long way. It seemed like a long time ago. It was only 2006. He's grown up in front of us, and now he's always going to be remembered as the best ever. That's great for Devin Hester. Before we quickly give our Super Bowl predictions, I thought we'd let Adam Stadzinski give his Bill Swirsky tribute to Devin Hester, who he says is his favorite player of all time. Hey, guys. All right. Yeah, I appreciate the time. So uh, as you can see, I'm wearing a Devin Hester jersey. (laughs) uh, Yeah, Devin Hester. So uh, I'll I'll make this as concise as I can. Devin Hester was right in my wheelhouse as far as being a Bears fan, because when he was playing his first year, I was 15, 16 years old, super like super Bears fan. And the the electricity that he sent through the NFL during his Super Bowl return it's the most electric thing I've ever seen on a football field. Because when you talk about even just as a fan for the two weeks leading up to that game, you have two weeks of just pure anxiety, waiting for that game and waiting for that moment. And then you're I'm at this Super Bowl party with my mom's work friends, and I know half the people there maybe. And then you, the, you, this 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 moment of anxiety builds to this thunderous electric explosion that is Devin Hester's return, and I'm hugging people I don't know, and like, we're all screaming, and I don't care what happened the rest of the game. <laughs> so yeah, it, like the the guy was just so like he made it impossible to to leave the room on a fourth down. It's like hey, we got a third down stop. We got a chance to score right now, and, and, and more, more. You had a better chance to score on the punt than you did when the offense was on the field. True. So, so, so it, it, it. I'm so glad that he finally got in because he's the best to ever do it, and and I could defend him objectively if I need to, but but you don't need and, to anymore. Yeah, you don't need to anymore. So, so I again, yeah. I'm just I'm I'm ecstatic that he got in, and that's great. Yeah, it, like it, it. You, there was no, there was nothing ever like a Devin Hester punter kick return. Like you, it was, it was can't miss football for the entirety of his career. And oh, I don't have enough time about. I don't have enough time. I don't think to tell the story about me. Almost, I should have been, should have witnessed his twentieth punt return that would have broken the record. It was called back on a penalty by Craig Stelts yeah, against the Rams. Yeah. So I, I was I was one. at I was at that game. Very good to remember that one. Yeah, Craig Stelts also at that game. Unfortunately, uh, yeah. for the I believe David and I were yeah. sitting side by side. I was sitting there. Yeah, yeah. At yeah. The game. I've never yeah. I've never forgiven Craig Stelts for that. Moment. <laughs> number twenty. Good All right, well, we got, me, 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 and my buddy who I was a huge Bears fan. We're sitting there. He's like, "That's the record," and we're freaking out. And then it got called back. So, <laughs> <laughs> who are you picking for the Super Bowl, studs? Uh, I'm going with the Chiefs. I'm not picking against Patrick Mahomes. I've learned that lesson too many times. I'm going to say Chiefs 30 and 49ers 25. Cool. All right. Good job. What about you, Dan? 49ers 26, Chiefs 24. Christian McCaffrey, Kyle Shanahan finally gets past the the Super Bowl bugaboo that he's had uh, and his various stops there. That's it. That would make Brock Purdy elite. I'm picking Chiefs 31, 
49ers 27. I'm the lone wolf. You don't pick against Michael Jordan. You don't pick against Patrick Mahomes. I just not did. in their prime. I know. <laughs> at your own peril. All right. This was a lot of fun. Hall of Fame tributes to Steve Mongo McMichael, Devin Hester. Julius Peppers also went in. Pep was a good bear. Got to go in as the Panthers. It was a great class. You're right, Dan. A lot of guys on there like, yep, yep, yep. And we'll have plenty of time to discuss what's going on in the Bears off season next time we convene. But this was a lot of fun. For Adam Sadzinski and Dan Weeder, I'm David Haw on the Take the North podcast. You can watch us on 670 Sports YouTube page. Appreciate your time. We'll talk to you next week. Great talk. See you out there.